Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm Michael, and on the other side is Drew. Hi, how you doing? Alright, so it's been a little while, but we're uh, going to be doing the Disney movies, or acquisitions by Disney, <laughs> of 1996. <laughs> It's weird. I'm now seeing reports that Disney is thinking of selling their catalog off to Apple. And that's a, that's, wow, that's a weird thing to unfold because Disney has acquired so many things over the last decade. And now to have them acquired, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that'd be bananas. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the weird thing. I think, uh, you know, even just scrolling through like Disney Plus, realizing like, oh, wait, that's Disney. Oh, wait, that's Disney. Like, like you said, like the acquired by Disney type of thing. And then, you know, that to imagine them selling something off to Apple. So, I mean, they've got a plethora of things with them. But yeah. it's very interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, also reading those reports about, like, how those TV shows are failing and all this other stuff, and they're putting all that money in the, into Disney+. Plus. I'm, I'm guessing that's a move to just try to recoup things. But it's really hard to feel sorry for Disney. You know, they're the, they're the giant, yeah. uh, the giant entertainment company that they are, like, losses you know I don't, I don't think they're significant losses well I, the, the craziest thing is that it's they've survived rough times before and it's it now seems to be beholden to the stockholders because we're not going to ignore uh, the fact that guardians of the galaxy made like a billion dollars and it makes up for anything that the other movies lost so i, I think it's just hey we got to keep the stockholders price at this level so what are we going to do <laughs> and speaking of that, that reminds me of our time in retail. <laughs> <laughs> of how, how many costs are they going to cut to keep our stock price the same, even though it makes no sense whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, hey, we, we live by that mantra, like, you know, expect more, pay less, and that was definitely uh, the case for their employees. So we might as well start off with the first movie, which explores the world of retail and the most nightmarish part of it, <laughs> Black Friday, Christmas season. <laughs> Holy crap, I never want to do that again. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Uh, Jingle All the Way is... Um, I know some people like to throw it away as a lesser uh, Christmas movie or a lesser... Well, I mean, I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't do a whole lot of comedies, but... I, I've seen over the years that it's a split, a divide over who was a kid at the time it came out, and there's a lot of love for it, and then everybody that was older than that is kind of like, nah, it's kind of. But what I think they're missing is all the hijinks, all the chaos. There is a rooted trueness. I don't think that's a phrase. I think I made up words. Uh, <laughs> in in the mind-boggling decisions of parents trying to shop during the season, and how kind of like blind to the point of the holidays it is yeah definitely and and i mean i i believe like with the movie itself you know watching it as a as a parent now it's it's completely relatable and i, I don't think it's a movie that's geared towards kids as much as like a lot of the common like holiday movies are yeah uh, because you're you're placed in in, in you know this this man's uh, who you know was played by arnold uh dilemma of trying to get that gift and like oh yeah like it's you know it can't be that hard like you know they're they're toys they're they're gonna be around everywhere and then realizing how how popular this thing is <laughs> it takes me back to you know the the seeing those those ads on on tv or the, the on the news about like tickle me elmo's being unavailable period yeah and we work uh, we or, work during that time retail like <laughs> having people check for uh, you know wheeze every day oh and, my and gosh. like consistently every single day and it was being like something that was sold out and you just could not keep it in stock so 
uh, I, I enjoyed it more, I think, as a parent and, and as a, an older person than, than I do or did uh, back then as a kid because I'm seeing some of those same struggles with certain things now. Um, and it's, it's completely hilarious. Like every, every aspect of it is hilarious. Because uh, I remember when I was a kid, the first time I had ever heard of there being a rare toy and it wasn't, in, I don't know if it was intentionally rare, but it's just because everybody was buying it was the Cabbage Patch Kid. And people were beating each other up, chasing all over the place for it. And I was just like, that's insane. And I think there was like the Furby around 90, right around the time of this movie, I think, was the Furby was another one. Um, and then, you know, when you and I worked, when did you start retail? I, I did uh, little chunks, but the big part was in 2010. Uh, yeah, like right at, uh, well... I believe it was 2000 and uh, was it 2007? I believe is when I started at Target. Okay. Well, I so do, I, so I do remember you, like oh, the we the we being the most impossible thing to get. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Guitar Hero was was pretty popular. Not that there were toys, but those are electronics that ended up being something that literally every day people kept them coming in asking me for yeah uh and and then of course back then i got my first taste of a black friday so the i remember there was the harry potter legos especially what what's the castle where they all live uh the, the uh oh my goodness hogwarts hogwarts. hogwarts yeah so that was one and then the next year was strangle me i mean tickle me elbow <laughs> Um, there was a dancing Mickey, like a, or and then I think there was a spinoff the next year. It was like aerobics Mickey or something like that. Yeah, I remember the dancing Mickey. Yeah. And then um, the next year, my final year in retail, well, toy oriented retail. I went to another company where it was a sporting goods, so we didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but the last year was when the PS4 came out, and every single day. All day long, phone calls, people coming in, and we're only getting what, maybe four or five a day, and yeah. just people standing around going, "Have they processed it yet? Have they processed it?" I go, "I don't even know if they're here. I don't know." <laughs> just, it, I mean, I literally like on Black Friday, I took the phone because we were swamped, and I just threw it in a drawer, and everybody was like, "Why did you do that?" It's like, "Are you gonna listen to that thing ring all day long? I can't. We don't have time to answer this." <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because. Uh... I, I remember like having people come into the stores saying like, "Oh no!" Like it says, you have some online. Uh, oh, <laughs> like, that uh, torturous you know, event! Oh my. Yeah, you know, um, I work here. Like, there's, there's no way you know more than me. But can you check you know, in the back? Do you have any more yeah, in the back? Exactly. And, and then you do that <laughs> fake walk into the back where you just kind of like. Hey. I see you. We have a good ten minute conversation about something. I come out and like, oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I looked everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and for all you people out there that, that you know not that everybody does it but that was you know that was obviously our thing I think a lot of the retail uh, retail workforce along with us can laugh about it being the same thing but you know hey like sometimes sometimes those retail workers we know what we're talking about people, yeah. so <laughs> especially I was at the last company I was working for I was the warehouse I was processing everything and then I would I, I my other department was once you're done processing everything you went out and worked on foods and people are like do you have this thing I go no, and they go. Do you, can you check in the back? Oh well, I got all the freight this morning. I checked it. And there's nothing on it. And can you still go check? Oh, uh, fine, whatever. I was gonna look at my phone for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because uh, I, I've worked for a couple of retail companies other than the, the good old bullseye, but uh, 
you realize, especially now being a customer, how how off those counts or those on hands are like yeah. at Target. Like, it's yeah. pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> But back to the movie. Um, sorry, kids, we got distracted for a second there. So it's all it's about retail. It's retail stuff. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's about a toy called Turbo Man. Hey, I was I know I was in my twenties, but I found one. I got one for myself. I thought it was really funny. Um, a Turbo Man. Um, but it's his chase all over. What is it, Minneapolis or something like that? Trying to find it, and along the way, he uh, starts competing with Sinbad. Is this Sinbad's best role? Um, I think it is. It's it's very. Uh, I mean, obviously, when when you think of Sinbad, it, it's it's nothing but family comedies. And I think this one, uh, it, the the way that you know how he's he's so loud and kind of out there, and and you know, obviously we'll talk about the first a little later. But I, I think this this was not just a funny character, but a very relatable character. Um, you know, he he came off as somebody who was just you know at his wits end and. Uh, even even the whole like you know, obviously he's a postal worker in the movie, but even the whole like oh this is a bomb this is you know people mail bombs every day and then <laughs> it turns out to be one and after all like you know kind of joking around but um, it's 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 a very yeah I mean I know it's a long explanation but but that that's probably one of my favorite roles for him or my favorite uh, time seeing him in a movie yeah. It's very interesting because he only did, I think, five movies, and almost all of them were hits, and then he just stopped. And it's just one of the strangest things because I even looked up First Kid made a profit because you had House Guest, and all the way back in 91, you had Necessary Roughness, which he was a uh, part of the ensemble. Then he had his TV show, House Guest, um, First Kid, this, which made money. And then he did a, a Western, which I think is really underrated, called The Cherokee Kid for HBO. And then no more. It's I don't know if he just got burnt out or what, but I, I miss seeing him on the screen. Yeah, and you, you think about uh, I mean, obviously like uh, we're we're talking post post Paul Rubens, but even like seeing seeing Pee Wee kind of come back and do a movie with Netflix, you know, so many years ago was kind of like, oh hey, yeah, like this guy exists. It's pretty cool. Like so to think that or, or wish that for like a Sinbad character or a movie like would would also be kind of the same mantra it would be like fun yeah a very welcome site and, and something that i think especially a lot of us older uh older generation kids can appreciate because obviously he's, he hasn't done anything um outside of me watching the movies that prepare for 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 us talking like my kids have never heard of sinbad so. oh wow i i really yeah. thought that he would have carried over 90s nostalgia still hasn't kicked in though i mean it's like the very beginning 80s nostalgia held on for so stinking long like 12, 15 years longer than it should have. <laughs> I mean, right now, if you look at the way nostalgia works, we should start beginning nostalgic for like the early 2000s, you know? <laughs> and that's yeah. not happening. Um, but yeah, yeah it would be. I mean, and I've, I've done my due diligence of showing them, you know, some invaders in and, and showing them some some of those types of movies. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it all there. Yeah, yeah so there's nothing really. It's just it, kind of like a chase road trip movie uh, where where it's like little vignettes where they go from store to store to store and they add new characters along the way. And you get like uh, uh, the sleazy Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Phil Hartman thinks he can steal away Rita Wilson from Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's <laughs> one of the cockiest, <laughs> blind, dumb things I've ever seen. Yeah, well, and, and you know, it's one of, you know, one of the last times we get to see Phil Hartman, but... It, it, it's it's very funny like obviously seeing him all those years inside night life like and then having him play like a sleazy kind of neighbor type guy was 
very outside the norm, but you know, it's it's Phil Hartman. Like, how can you not love what he does? Yeah. Well, I think I think news radio opened that door a little bit because his character on that was kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say before we go on to the next movie? Uh, I will say, uh, absolute favorite part of, of that movie uh, is when he, he's going into the retail store uh, asking for a Turbo Man and retail worker gets a laugh in his face. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a couple moments that are too like spectacle. Arnold Schwarzenegger was so used to delivering spectacle that um, I think he needed to pull back a little bit on this one. The whole Santa wire work kind of stunt is a little ridiculous, and especially at the end when he has a jetpack and he's flying around. And how do you not know that's your dad? He's the only guy in Minneapolis that looks like that, sounds like that. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, definitely for sure. But like I said, like I, I think every retail worker that that scene, I think is, is a joyous thing because I think we all we all wish we can we can be like that with the customers. Oh, I've done. I did some stuff at the, the 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 each Target is wildly different. The stuff that I got away with at the Portland Target, oh my! I did not get away with at the store that you and I work together with, and boy. <laughs> I got there being all like, I can say and do whatever I want. No, I can't. Oh, shit. <laughs> I got in trouble a lot, kids. Okay, let's just say that. <laughs> all right. So on to our next film. Let's might as well go on to First Kid. Yeah. This is the one that I got excited about until I watched it. And I think I'm too old now to really get into it. My problem is is that Sinbad doesn't really get to be funny. It's so toned down for him that I was just kind of bummed. Yeah, well, and even even the character he's playing, like, it, they, they kind of allude to it in the movie where they're like, oh, like, you can't wear that tie. Like, you gotta take it off. It's gotta be, it's gotta be black. It's gotta be plain tie. Like, like it's a lot of, uh, not necessarily foreshadowing, but, like, really, like, kind of, like foretells that like oh like you know Sinbad but he can't be the way he is like in, in, in this role so it seemed like he was handcuffed uh, for the movie yeah but, yeah I mean and, and the movie obviously is, is him protecting uh, the first son or the president's the president's son uh, being his personal bodyguard um, and, and of course the son like any I'm guessing any uh, president's sons might be a little a little spoiled and a little uh, accustomed to to getting whatever he wants or you know like in this instance he, he kind of has that uh troublemaker you know mantra personality uh at the beginning of the movie yeah it felt i felt like a good companion piece i know not plot wise but it's, it's tone it's feel to blank check yeah something about you know like a kid who's being like restrained because of who he is or his family or he's being ignored because of how famous his father is and then kind of uh rebelling against that Maybe maybe it was smart for Sinbad to show a different side of him. It's just, I don't know. I think my expectations of what I wanted from him maybe isn't fair then. If I think about because he had to be serious because the kid was rebelling. Because it kind of, what you were saying earlier, it's like he was a rebellious guy. And you assume later he would start breaking the mold on what a uh, security, I'm starting to think of the word, secret service guy can do. But duh, not in reality. You can't just. You have to save a life, and you have to be aware at all times. So maybe my idea is dumb. Yeah, and, and I mean, like I, I, you know, Secret Service. It, Sinbad doesn't come to mind when I'm thinking about an actor portraying a Secret Service person. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet you. You know, Disney had a thing where they would have a catalog of people in their little repertoire. 
um, you know, like a like a theater company. Uh, and I think that he was just like, hey, we have a contract with this guy. Let's let's find a project for him, whatever. And they they needed a lead for this, so they said, hey, why not? <laughs> yeah, and the and the movie overall, like, it definitely has, uh, you know, it's it's cornier moments uh, throughout the movie. Uh, it's uh, you know, and, and not that it was a bad movie or anything like that. I mean, like you said, it did make some money for the company for good old Disney, but. It's it's just something that you know was uh, was you were expecting one thing and got something a little different. Yeah. So I like it's not a huge disappointment, but I, I think it's his least um, follow through, I guess, on on his talent. All right. So what do you want our next film to be? Uh, I mean, we can jump in the Hunchback. Okay. Um, a movie that I know that nobody likes that I know was a big box office disappointment, but. It, I know. I remember when it came out, everybody was like, "Oh, this thing is super expensive, but now it's way too dark, way too sophisticated, and it didn't make the money back." I think the curse here, like we talked about with Pocahontas, is the Lion King spoiled them. They expected everything after Lion King to make three hundred, four hundred million dollars, and that's just a fluke. You had perfect timing and the perfect uh, film to get to that point. Yeah, and, and not, not to mention, you know, look at the marketing for something like Lion King. Like, there was toys, video games, there was everything uh, that contributes to that being the, the colossal success that it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it didn't stop there. You know, there's there's obviously so much of a push for like McDonald's Happy Meal toys and, and those types of things. So, honestly, like, I, like I think of Hunchback and... and I, I don't remember toys. I don't remember marketing for it. I don't remember these types of things for it. Um, and obviously, you're, you're following like Quasimodo, who's not you know he's he's not a lion. He's not a cute lion. Uh, having a, a plush of Quasimodo probably isn't on the uh, Christmas list. No, for me. I mean <laughs> they do they do cutesy him up and they do give him talking side characters. So there is still I think if I remember correctly, I think at best. McDonald's had, I think, glasses like the way they did with Batman Forever. I think they had Hunchback glasses, and they just didn't take off. Or whatever. I remember that was a big complaint too. Um, like with Batman Returns, is like we have all these toys and merchandise that we're sitting on, and it's not moving because your movie's too dark. And at some point, Disney has to grow up. Even Lion King, if you think of it on visually, it, it still appeals to kids, but its subject matter is very adult. Yeah, and, and honestly, like I, I would go as far to say, like as far as the Hunchback, like it's one of the artistically like most beautiful oh, movies yeah. of this era because of you know the details in a lot of the statue work, a lot of Notre Dame, like just being able to see the backdrops and how intricate everything is. It is a very visually beautiful movie to watch, and uh, obviously, like when it's when it's a cartoon and it's a kids movie, that's that's kind of not what is being paid attention to. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I would easily put it up there with any any of the like, you know, animation wise, anything that's as as beautiful as as, as, as you know anything that's out there. Like, yeah, the only thing I can compare it to visually in its complexity and sophistication is maybe Anastasia. And, yeah, like I, and I think like I was you know watching it over again. I I think of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a movie, but I think of the movie or the game uh, Shadow of the Colossus, like how beautifully oh, wow, yeah. stunning that, that game was. 
laws and just the, the intricacies of, of everything. And you know, you're climbing these huge giants uh, in the game, and every everything's so detail oriented and and so beautiful looking. And that it, you know, that's what I, it reminded me of a lot. Like when I was watching over again, like some of those scenes, some of those cutscenes, especially of 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 Notre Dame. Like wow, like that's 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 beautiful. Yeah, and. The, the complexities in the characters and the non-obvious choices that they didn't... Like, they could have easily made Kevin Klein's character the handsome guy in town to save the day. You know, they could have turned into just like Beauty and the Beast or something, but they made the brave choice is that he's not a rival for Hunchback, you know, for... Uh, I can't remember her name's... Uh, the Demi Moore's character, for her love, and he's not hunting him down or whatever. He realizes instantly this is a huge mistake. And making that a, a balanced relationship of three people who don't have any animosity towards each other was a really smart choice. Yeah, and, and that's a, the hard thing, especially in the 90s. Like, they're, like they followed such a cookie-cutter recipe for, for so many of the movies. Of course, like you have a, a main you know hero, a, a damsel in distress, or somebody that needs that help or love interest, and then you know one bad guy. Uh, and and this, this definitely was... A little more lifelike, especially as you you know get older. The, the, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a love. I mean, obviously, like the character of Esmeralda is very beautiful and very attractive, but there wasn't like it was. It wasn't a huge love interest into into which uh, like that story was wholly based on. Right. Well, and it's interesting. The villain, his problem is the fact that he is. Uh, enticed by Esmeralda. He blames her for him being aroused, which is ridiculous, and he wants to condemn and destroy her because of it. I was like, dude, that sounds like a you problem. You need to go get some therapy. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a, obviously a, a little little telling of the times there, too, uh, as far as when it was set. Because, of course, you know, back then, it's 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 always the women's fault for, for men and and their their temptations and their they're being they're the ones who uh, the men are the ones who are just victims to, to what the women are doing. <laughs> She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it, it kind of you know that that portion right there reminds me of the whole like Salem witch trials, where it's like, oh, like you know, I'm I'm you know I must be. She must be a witch because she doesn't, you know, she's not a part of the norm or yeah, yeah. she's done this well, or that kind of, kind of type of thing. <laughs> the fact that they would, well, we're going to drown you, and if you die, you're not a witch. But if you are a witch, and they always die, and like, yeah, she's not a witch, but we're murderers. Whoops. The ultimate lose-lose situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite of this era. I feel like... The knee-jerk reaction to this was to go way lighter and, like, action-oriented because, you know, after this, they go with Hercules. Now, mind you, I understand how animation work. It was probably deep into production already. But you can see, like, there's almost like a... Uh, you break your neck with the tone shift. Um, and then it's, what, Mulan, um, Tarzan, Treasure Planet, and I think there's another one in there somewhere where it's all... Oh, Atlantis, where it's all more action-oriented instead of, like, dark dramas. Yeah, and, and you take something, especially like with Hercules being the next one out. Like it's it's odd because obviously everything as far as Roman mythology, it's all dark. It's all something that's that's not like that's that's a little more of the tone of Hunchback of Notre Dame, not necessarily as bright, colorful. Yeah, and, it's weird. It's like they're trying uh, to re- songs. Yeah, it was like they're trying to recapture that Aladdin magic. Yeah, exactly. Of course, we'll talk about that on the next year. Um, so Muppet Treasure Island. 
Muppet Treasure Island. Aye, aye. Oh, man. Okay, so for me, they say that, like, every other, what was it, Star Trek movie, like, the the um, even number ones are the good ones. <laughs> well, the odd number ones of the Muppet movies are my favorites. Because <laughs> it, it goes, um, the Muppet movie, Caper, Manhattan, and then there's a long gap for some reason, then Christmas, which... I'm not a big fan of the Christmas Carol period. And then the Muppets is just kind of like depressing. And then this one and Muppets from space. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome seeing, uh, obviously the Muppets have been around forever and they, they feel like every, every so often they, they have another, I mean, nowadays they have another movie that goes on Netflix or, or something like that with a really, really great actor. But, um, this one obviously is a you know a little different. Uh, I think they were capturing you know different stories with the Muppets and trying to appeal to. Uh, I mean, not not necessarily a, a full on original type of story, but you know it was very Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, to me, obviously, Pirates you know the movie wise came out later, but you know having that ride at Disneyland and kind of linking it to that. So yeah, well, you know, I just realized Disney was doing the classic tales during this time period and I wonder since Disney was distributing they hadn't owned the Muppets yet they were distributing the Muppets movies I wonder if they put that seed in the Henson Company's ear of doing classic classic tales and I kind of wish they would do more of these I think all they've ever done was what this Christmas Carol and Oz um, I don't know if they've done any others but I would love to see like a Three Musketeers or something like that you know a Wild West tale with the Muppets yeah definitely and, and uh, I, I think you know, obviously, the the movies that have come out more recently are more original, uh, original stories, original kind of storytelling in, in, the, in that sense. But you know, seeing seeing those types of versions of the Muppets or seeing like a famous story kind of retold with, with a Muppet twist, it's always it's always amusing and funny, especially when they pick the characters to be certain you know, certain people, like Kermit the Frog as a captain. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, I love the idiot. A uh, guy who's paying for the trip that Fozzie Bear is, and he gets all his advice from his thumb, and it's like, what kind of nonsense is? I love this. Well, it's not his thumb; it's the man, man in his thumb. Oh, the man in his thumb. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> the voice in thumb. <laughs> from what I'm told, and I don't know if your kids like the Muppets, but like some of my friends are like, I love the Muppets. My kids don't give a crap. Do your kids like the Muppets? <laughs> they're, they're kind of like, hi, what's this? And then like, uh, I go on about my day. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think maybe you know, and, and the thing about today's kids is that they're not. Uh, as far as what I've seen with my kids, is that like the the simply simple goofiness, like you know, corniness doesn't doesn't appeal to them as much as I think it did to me. Okay, like dad <laughs> jokes and spoof behavior, like Mel Brooks movies. I don't know if the next. I guess that's why spoof movies have died, not just because of those two guys that kept churning out everything, you know, like date movie, epic movie, disaster movie. I think the sense of humor kind of has changed over the years to more like more of the Judd Apatow awkward, more grounded comedy, whereas like that slapsticky vaudeville kind of influence comedy is dead. Yeah, yeah, and then just a just a plain out goofiness. Like I mean, like you said, yeah, parody movies are just not a thing anymore. I mean, obviously, Spaceballs was like one of one of my favorite growing up, and you know, like that's that's something that obviously a lot of the the like older generation of people, like I still see, 
you know, the big helmets, uh, <laughs> <some Comic-Cons, laughs> like pictures of people like, you know, Comic-Con as, as, as them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame too, because I think, I think the simplicity of it and, and I, I, before watching these movies, like going through like some of the naked guns, like with Leslie Nelson, just some of my favorite movies are growing up as a kid, seeing things and then rewatching them and just appreciating them all over again. Like it's, it's a shame that they're not as prevalent as they were because they're, they're, they're pretty funny. I mean, I, and I get it. It's just silliness and, and, and just kind of goofiness and, and really simple, but it's, it's a lot of times what made me laugh as a kid. Yeah. I mean, you and I, our generations, I mean, what we're 10 years apart, I think I'm 46. Yeah. I'm 36. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we grew up where comedy was King. I mean, the way superhero movies are now is the way comedies were in the eighties and nineties. And I think like the last big comedy like to really like make a lot of money was like The Hangover, and that's been like a decade. So it's kind of yeah. strange that no one gives a crap about comedy anymore. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of comedies. I mean, obviously they're like straight to Netflix type type comedies, which is, which is kind of a shame, and it's it's sad because like a lot of times it's my favorite genre, and yeah. like I, I I haven't gone to a movie to laugh like or expecting a comedy movie and the laugh like it's i mean obviously i get the laughs from a, a few marvel movies uh you know i had the pleasure of watching the ninja turtles movie and there's was, was a bunch of laughs in there too but strictly just comedy like i mean some of my favorite movies anchorman you know like being one of the my <laughs> you, favorite you and i have talked about anchorman movies. and idiocracy more than anybody else on the planet <laughs> oh yeah and that's the thing like those movies you will you will not see nowadays in the theater yeah, it's and I want to say uh, so Muppet Treasure Island I think is when it comes down to boiling down like cutting edge comedy mixed in with like classic tales. This is gold. I think only the original Muppet movie has sharper satire, and there's stuff in this that cracks me up. The whole roll call is maybe one of the greatest comedy scenes ever. Old Tom, really old Tom, dead Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, it, it, and it's, uh, the, the goofiness of all that stuff and the, the silliness of it. Yeah. Oh, and Tim Curry. Oh, man, oh, does he yeah. almost walk away from this? He just takes the whole movie and chews it up and spits it back out, and it's so enjoyable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and obviously, like, if, if you haven't seen the movie before, he's, he's a very, you know, he's, he's a very charming you know, character to begin with. And like, oh, he's, he's just on their side, and he's going to get into a lot of it. And obviously more than halfway through the movie you realize who the mastermind is and it's him and he he plays the part of, of a a bad pirate Blackbeard very very amazingly yeah it's got great songs great comedy and really well done set design for a Muppet movie I've, I've seen how they make these things and it's like a set sitting on top of a set because the guys have to be under it uh, puppeteering. And I've seen now that they're doing a lot more like CGI in the Muppet stuff to make them move differently, of course, or they're just completely CGI, period. It had been so difficult back then when you just couldn't wipe out the sticks and the wires. Yeah, well, I think uh, a few days ago, actually, I saw a little like... Uh, behind the scenes of something like Roger Rabbit, I know we discussed it, but like how how all these sets were built up, and you know all all of this all this technology we take for granted today. Like I think one of the things they focused on was how how did they get a real object in somebody's hand, like in Roger Rabbit's hand, as far as like a glass. Yeah, and they had like robots making these movements with the glass, and of course they cut it out and like have have 
the animation over it, but the, you know, even even those types of movies uh, back then, and and not having the CGI that you have now, it's 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 pretty crazy how much time and and love really went into those movies. Yeah, I still have no clue how they got Kermit to ride that bike. How? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's literally just like the they must have been above or something, whatever, with uh, you know thin wires because they just can't, oh, or maybe it was a remote controlled bike. Yeah, very possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is definitely top-tier Muppets. And our last movie, presented by Tim Burton, but really this is all... Um, and I just forgot his name. How did I just do that? The guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas. Dang it. Uh, <laughs> is it Henry... Henry Selleck. Oh, no. my God. I almost said something else. <laughs> uh, I almost said Henry McAvoy, which I think I just combined two people. Um <laughs> Um, James and Giant Peach, this is really his showcase. Tim Burton's just lending his name to it to get Disney to finance it. You know, it's none of his artwork. I have never seen this movie. I saw the trailer over and over and over. But, my God, this is magical. And it's so interesting in how... I've never read the book, but it's 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 real-world filming, like live-action. And then once he goes into the Peach, it's like this magical altered-verse where he becomes a claymation character. Or I guess not claymation, but stop-motion. And yeah. I mean, the whole thing, I was so entranced. I had no idea Richard Dreyfuss was playing the Brooklyn Worm or whatever, Caterpillar. I thought, oh, I, how is this not? Is this a classic and I just don't know this? Do people talk about this movie? Um, I mean, not enough, obviously. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you think about stop motion, I mean, especially in this era, it really wasn't a huge thing. Uh, obviously, like The Nightmare Before Christmas was a huge stop motion type movie. And then uh, you don't see a whole lot of it. I know a lot of the Leica studio stuff like I, I just enjoy and I love. Like I, everything they've done the last few years, whether it's Coraline, uh, Paranorman, or uh, Kubo and the... Nine strings, I think it is, or Kubo. Something like that, yeah. Uh, it's those those stop motion animation, like that's one of my favorite and my kids' favorite things to watch. So every time there's something like that out, like we're watching it. Uh, Box Trolls is another one. Uh, but it, it's 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 I cannot imagine making these types of movies and how much goes into it and and how grueling all these things are, like in order that that go into making these movies. Like yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's. it's and I think that's the reason why I love it so much because I know how much goes into it. Uh, I mean, obviously not personally, but I, I know the process and what it, what it takes. And it's like, man, like these movies look beautiful. Here's this weird thing, and I think I might have told you the story before. So I lived um, in the same town where the Leica headquarters were, and the yeah. lady below me worked for the studio. And for some reason, even with my love of animation and my curiosity, I never asked her once, how did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the only time I really talked to her, like 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 had a conversation instead of hi bye hey there's your cat, um, is she was doing um, sketches for Paranorman right as they were doing pre production on it, and I was like oh that's cool whatever not thinking because you know how animation is half the time those movies don't actually yeah. get made they just go through pre production and they go ah never mind, and yeah. I've only ever seen Paranorman and I haven't seen any other movies I don't know why. It's so strange. I saw that Coraline was in theaters this weekend, and it made five million dollars. Yep. I mean, that, that, that's that's one of my all-time favorites. My, my, my and my kids, uh, and it's, it's a nice little lesson. Like, hey, you know, appreciate your parents. Yeah. <laughs> type of story. So, um, 
I mean, I've got like I've got a tattoo of Coraline on, on my arm here. So uh, it's it's definitely uh, unique and different. And you see a lot of these movies, obviously, obviously like some of the other Leica ones or the newer ones, like haven't garnered as much admiration. But you know, I remember for Christmas is still around. They still sell that merchandise in Disney stores every year. Yeah, they sell it year round. Well, uh, I mean, they, if you're if you remember, most of those early Disney movies were not hits or, or very profitable. That they would they would put them in theaters like every seven, eight years or whatever, and that's eventually how they made all that money. Is because word of mouth would build and then it would disappear. I mean, these, do they still pull movies from the vaults? I, I feel like they still do that. Like, oh, it's on Blu-ray for only a short period of time. Yeah, and well, and that's the hard thing is the the physical uh, copies of these things obviously are going away with with the digital realm and streaming kind of coming coming to life and things like that. So I, I don't I don't know if there's a vault anymore, but I, I definitely see them doing something with Disney Plus to where like oh you know watch watch Pocahontas until this date and then we're gonna have to take it off kind of thing. That's annoying. Um, I was looking. The reason why we also bring up Coraline is because it's the same director as James and the Giant Peach, and for a guy that's so incredibly gifted, it's strange how few movies he's made. And I think the big problem was is that Monkey Bone was his follow-up to this, to James and the Giant Peach, and it was supposed to be a big Christmas 2000 release, and then the studio got scared because they thought it was too dark and too weird, and they dumped it to like the last week of February the next year, and it made like. I think it cost like seventy-five million dollars. It only made like eight, and that destroyed his career until someone came a knocking for Coraline. And I, I feel like there's so much more that we could have got out of him. Yeah, and especially Mikey Bones, one of those like cult, cult classic type things because it's a stop animation for grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, it, to bring it, bring it on back to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that was one of his last non-directorial uh, animation jobs. James of the Giant Peach. I mean, obviously, like it's it's very visually stunning. Uh, the what always fascinated me about watching that movie is is you know how how like the instance in which he's eating the peaches, like how big that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, he's holding his hand because I don't. You know, obviously, it's not a real peach, but whatever it is in his hand, just the look of it, the sound of it, like it's just it was very very interesting to me. I remember as a kid and seeing it again. I'm like, oh yeah, like look at that thing. His uh, his two real world ants are so nasty. <laughs> it's like classic fairy tale, like Cinderella and his, her rotten stepsisters and stuff like that. I just couldn't stop. Like, ew. <laughs> yeah, and they get. I think they get more and more ridiculous as the uh, looking as the uh, time goes by. Yeah. The uh, I don't think that kid has ever acted again. But if that's his only performance, hey, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and it must have been. It must have been great because like. You know, obviously you have the, the live action version of it and then I, I couldn't imagine like oh maybe you're on set for a few days and then the rest is just all voice acting yeah it must be it must be interesting to do something like that as a kid because I think as you get an adult well maybe things have changed now because animation CGI green screen all that stuff is more common now but can you imagine what it was like back in the day like trying to wrap your head around okay so you're fighting this imaginary thing looking at you or whatever and you're like huh did I uh, it's not going to be here. There's no representation whatsoever. Stare at that ball on the wall. That's it. <laughs> we'll have a yeah, and, and obviously, like you know, he's he's, and and I don't know the background, but it's like you know, he's an actor, but then all of a sudden has to be a voice actor. And back then, there weren't too many people that did both like that. Or yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of people were kind of treading the water in that uh, that that, that One, time. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was a voice actor for 
for the Lion King, but you don't see it as it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Like where yeah, yeah. you almost have to have a star for almost every character of animation now, or someone voicing that. Yeah, because we have two name actors in this one: Susan Sarandon and Richard Dreyfus. But I don't think it blows up. Like, it's a slow build because of the whole Robin Williams thing in Aladdin. But once Shrek came out, all of a sudden you had to have the names above the title. And that's yeah. where it, it was a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I just, like, again, I just watched Ninja Turtles. And, you know, apart from the, the actual actors who, who voice the turtles, like, they aren't as well known. Like, every other voice actor in there is somebody that's known. Like, yeah. It's, it's almost I, like the standard now. I prefer it when it's actual, like, that's their thing is voice acting. I mean, you can do both. But I don't understand why Chris um, uh, Pratt is being hired for, like, every other animated movie. And it's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here, guys? <laughs> don't you, can't you find an actual, like, a voice actor? Yeah, well, and it's tough because I, I think now that the, the, the jobs are, are still going to movie stars, you know, the movies, are, you know, voice acting movies are going to movie stars. You see a lot of them, a lot of talented voice actors, and obviously like the, the TV shows and things that we talk about, like um, John, John De, is it DiMaggio? Like he's the voice yeah. of so many characters that I just love to watch on like animation wise. Mm-hmm. He's the voice of Jake from, from Adventure Time, but like, I hear his voice pop up from time to time and it's just like, man, that guy's awesome. Yeah, but TV still keeps it pretty grounded because of budgetary reasons. It is strange that they would say, hey, the selling point of this animated movie are some actors you don't actually see. (laughs) Like, you're going to spend, I think they spent like $45 million or something like that on the last Shrek movie just to get Eddie Murphy, Mike Myers, and... um, not Shelly Theron, uh, Cameron Diaz in, in a recording studio for like two weeks. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. And then, uh, you know, like you, you think about, you know, like Vin Diesel is the voice of Groot. <laughs> <laughs> no, they could have got anybody. What the- yeah. Of, of all of all the you know all the the guards of the galaxy movies and, and everything everything that, that that money is or everything that movie is made for him like he says you know maybe one sentence throughout the whole series of movies yeah crazy the uh, I just looked it up Henry Selleck did have a new movie come out last Halloween that Jordan Peele wrote on Netflix called Wendell Wendell and Wild it's a Halloween story that is an amazing movie oh watch. is it okay yes. yeah. It's, it's it's one of uh, one of the movies we we me and my kids kind of saw on Netflix. I'm like, hey, let's take a look at it. And it's, I mean, my my kids and, and obviously what we're into is a lot of the darker type stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, like my kids, like my girls, especially, like they didn't want to watch Barbie. They wanted to watch Ninja Turtles. Oh, have they seen the uh, have you seen the 1986 Transformers movie where everyone dies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that movie, uh, Wendell and Wild, is about two demons trying to get into the real world. So um, stop animation, very very awesome, very you know, kind of a little darker tones, but Key and Peele are obviously two main characters on there, and it's a it's a good story. I mean, I I, I love the movie. My kids love it. We watched it a few times. All right, yeah. Well I, well, I think the problem with I think I can't believe we're still stuck at this point. Animation is a medium, not a genre. You know, it can be any topic. I just don't understand why it keeps being stuck to kids' movies. Yeah, and I mean, you see, obviously, like, on TV now, you see, like, Family Guy's an animation, but that's not that's not for kids. Yeah, but I'm talking, like, <laughs> theatrically. Yeah, it, American Dad, and then they have, they've got a lot of cartoony-type movies or cartoony-type shows and movies that are 
you know, sometimes geared towards adults. I mean, yeah, but I, I want to see them in the theater, you know, and I just feel like they look go, nah, we're not going to get the audience for this because adults won't show up. Then why does anime sell so well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So that is it for this episode. We'll come back for 1997. And thank you so much, Drew. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. All right, everybody. We're out. You know where to find us.